Tonight we will be resuming a series in the epistle to Philemon, uh, which I began a few weeks ago in the evening service. Um, It's a very, very short letter, um, but regardless, um, this will be the second out of three sermons um, that I will be preaching uh, in that letter. Unlike uh, what is printed in your bulletins tonight we will study verses 8 through 16 um, rather than uh, verses 8 through 20. Uh, In Philemon, I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, are are familiar with the um, broad outline and and purpose of the letter, Um, but in case you are not, Philemon was written by Paul to uh, Philemon, the namesake of the letter, and it was written for the sake of Onesimus. Um, Onesimus was, um, by what we can tell, uh, a slave who had escaped um, from Philemon, his master, uh, and had very likely also stolen um, a number of things um, during his escape. Um, And Onesimus came uh, to Paul in Rome. Why, we do not know. Um, But it seems that as he encountered Paul there, uh, Paul brought him to Christ. And there was a really radical change in Onesimus, um, in his uh, his way of life. And um, here Paul is seeking, therefore, to bring about a reunion between Philemon and Onesimus, both of whom are now um, Christians and are now brothers in Christ and not just master and slave. In the previous sermon, we looked at uh, verses 1 through 7, where we saw um, Paul uh, greeting Philemon, um, a very long greeting when compared to um, the length of the rest of the letter. And we see how Paul comes in very intentionally um, just loving Philemon and uh, complimenting him um, and sharing how, how Philemon's uh, ministry to those others uh, in his church served also as a great blessing for himself. We see how Paul, rather than coming down on Philemon and ordering him about what he should do and use, just using his authority as an apostle is instead um, ministering gently uh, to Philemon. And we will see the continuance of that in verses 8 through 16. But in verses 8 through 16, we will also see um, Onesimus and Onesimus' life and the, the work that the Holy Spirit had done in his life. I think in verses 8 through 16, we really do see um, the, the threefold uh, state of of a believer's um, life process uh, illustrated. You have justification, sanctification, and the future glorification uh, anticipated. Uh, we'll study this passage in three points that also, in a way, examine three relationships. Firstly, the appeal of a spiritual father in verses 8 through 11, where we see the relationship um, between, uh, between Paul and Um, Philemon. Uh, Secondly, the return of a spiritual son in verses 12 and 14, where we also see the relationship between Paul and Onesimus. 
and then the reunion of spiritual brothers in verses 15 and 16, where we see especially the relationship between Philemon and Onesimus. Let's read verses 8 through 16 of Philemon together. This is the infallible, inerrant, inspired word of God. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Amen. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Thank you for um, the recording of this letter from Paul to Philemon. For us, that we might read it and study it and um, see its example and see um, the illustration of of your amazing grace and of the work of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray that as we study it tonight, that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts as well um, to uh, see your grace and at work in the lives of of these men and to desire that same work in our lives, Lord, and to have those same fruits illustrated in our lives. Lord, we pray that you would use this passage to make us more like your son, and we pray this in his name. Amen. So firstly, in verses 8 through 11, we see the appeal of a spiritual father. And really, like in verses 1 through 7, uh, we see a, really a continuation of verses, oh, sorry, in verses 8 through 11, we see a continuation of verses 1 through 7 in the gentleness of Paul's appeal to Philemon. Again, we need to remember that Paul was an apostle of Jesus Christ. He had authority that was utter, that is utterly unparalleled uh, in the church today. Authority somewhat like really exceeding what even the Roman Catholics would ascribe to their Pope. Um, If Paul had told Philemon um, to welcome Onesimus back and even to free Onesimus from slavery, Philemon would have been bound to obey Paul um, in that. Um, If he had not, he would almost certainly have been excommunicated by his church and faced real consequences. So Paul, it was not necessary for Paul to appeal to Philemon uh, in this manner. 
yet he does. And he, he draws not on his authority to, to uh, order Philemon to release Onesimus, but he draws on his suffering to convince Philemon to um, release Onesimus. We see him write, I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. A prisoner also for Christ Jesus. He's setting himself forward not from a, a high position of authority, but from a humble position, showing his weakness, his vulnerability, and really drawing on Philemon's sympathy. Um, it's, a very, it's a very humble way uh, for Paul to act, and one which uh, most of us would very much hesitate um, to replicate in a similar sort of appeal. It's much more comfortable for us to rely on, on our authority, on what's good about us, on what's respectable about us, to convince someone rather than um, our weakness. As we see here also just a continuation of a theme that you can see through all of Paul's epistles. He is always so strategic with how, even just how he introduces himself, the titles that he gives himself, and the, the sort of support that he brings for the claims and for the requirements that he makes. That's something I, I encourage you as you read Paul's epistles to, to take notice of that. Look at why is Paul introducing himself this way? Why is he using this vocabulary about himself? There's always a reason, and it's always um, a great example of of really how Christians should be diplomatic, as wise as serpents and gentle as doves, or as, or as Paul says, to um, become to that person what that person um, is. Also, in these, in these verses, we see Paul's love for Onesimus. He calls him his child. His child. And that's a a very meaningful phrase, especially if we think that Paul himself was not married and did not have any children of his own. He saw Onesimus as his spiritual child. And really, if from what we can see in this letter, he had a love for him that really um, is just as strong as the love that we see um, of a father having for his physical um, child. Um, it's a wonderful example of Christ's love um, that exists not because of the bonds of flesh and blood, but because of the bonds in Jesus Christ. And Paul is showing this love not to someone who is um, a great person who is deserving of it, um, or someone of who is high in, in authority and normally commands respect from society. He's saying this about a slave, and even worse than a slave, he's saying it about a slave who was escaped, a slave who, it seems, was also a thief. This is someone who is as low down on the social hierarchy as is really possible in the Greco-Roman world, one who, from virtually everybody else, would have received nothing but scorn and disdain and even hatred. Um, your, your normal Roman or, or Greek 
probably would have seen Onesimus and would have um, thought that the right and just thing would, have, would be for him to be crucified on the roadside for what he had done and for how he had betrayed his master. Yet Paul takes this, this Onesimus who is so um, disdained, who is so um, utterly unworthy of respect in the world's eyes and sets his love upon him because of Jesus Christ, because um, in Jesus Christ, all men um, are equal in the past deeds of men and women who are in Jesus Christ. Should, um, they do not cause a diff- they should not cause a difference in how we treat one another. We also see from, from this passage um, where, where Paul says, whose father I became in my imprisonment, um, it seems almost certain that Paul was the very instrument that God used to convert um, Onesimus. Uh, so there's even a more special bond there between them. Um, I, I would imagine many of you who, uh, when you think about those people who were the most instrumental in sharing the gospel with you and in bringing you to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, of course it's ultimately through the work of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit uses means in our lives. And I think for all of us when we think about those people, there's a special bond that we have with them. And if we have had the honor of being that instrument in bringing somebody to Christ, uh, we also feel that same special bond. Um, there, is, there is something just so beautiful and so deep um, about, that, about being involved in that spiritual rebirth. And it seems that Paul and Onesimus had that sort of relationship. <clears throat> the, the third thing, thing that we see in verses 8 through 11 is that the useless becomes useful. Uh, Onesimus in Greek means useful um, or ready to help. Or um, There are several different synonyms that you can use, but it was a very common name, as scholars point out, uh, for slaves in the Greco-Roman world. Of course, it makes sense. If, if you have a slave... You name him useful because that's what you want him to be uh, to you. Um, and uh, Onesimus, obviously, in his previous life, his life under Philemon proved very much to not live up to that name that he was given, um, in fact, to be the opposite. And Paul points that out where he uses um, a, a word play um, that is the same in Greek that it is uh, in English. It says, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. So the one whose name is useful used to be useless, but now he is actually useful. And where does this new usefulness come from? It doesn't come from, uh, from Onesimus deciding on his own to turn his life around um, it doesn't come from some magical power of his name reasserting itself. What it comes from is the work of the Holy Spirit in the heart of Onesimus. Um, taking a heart that formerly was, uh, was warped, was uh, sinful, and sought nothing but his own gain, um, and changed it utterly. Um, 
making it useful, um, useful to Paul, the apostle himself. This is the type of work that can only be done by the Holy Spirit. Uh, we might, we can see sometimes um, people change. Uh, it's, it's obvious that um, some people are, some unbelievers are more useful or more useless, are more evil in their actions or are less evil uh, in their actions. But anything good that comes out of human beings is from the Holy Spirit. With unbelievers, the Holy Spirit is restraining them, is actively engaged in their lives to keep them from being as, as evil, as wicked as they could be, as useless as they could be. In the lives of believers, the Holy Spirit is changing our hearts to become more like Christ, to become more useful, useful for the kingdom of God, useful for our brothers and sisters in Christ, and useful um, in probably our closest parallel to Onesimus' situation, more useful for our employers, um, to our co-workers, to our employees. Um, this is the work of the Holy Spirit in justification, and we see justification played out in this passage in Philemon's life. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, then in our second point, the return of a spiritual son, in verses 12 and 14. Um, let's read those verses again uh, together. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. Of your own accord. First we see here that Paul is making a sacrifice. A real sacrifice. Paul had seen Onesimus's, uh his transformation firsthand. As we saw earlier, he was probably the one who brought Onesimus uh, to salvation. He had seen the fruit of that played out in Onesimus' life as he became more and more uh, useful. And uh, he was blessed by that. He was blessed by it, and it seems that Onesimus had been a help um, to Paul himself in his imprisonment. Um, how exactly that was, whether through um, just taking care of his day-to-day needs. Um, that's probably the most likely thing, given that Onesimus was a slave, not someone with some special education. Um, but it could also be that he was, Onesimus was helping to write his letters, or um, there are all sorts of different things that we could imagine him doing. But regardless from the passage, we see that he was really helpful um, to Paul, and Paul sending him back was making a sacrifice. Paul would also be losing uh, by sending Onesimus a friend and a supporter. We might not think much of that. We might think that Paul the Apostle surely has a big group of people who always want to be around him. We can think of a lot of sort of celebrity Christians, even in the Reformed world, who they will come and they'll give a sermon or they'll give a, a lecture at a conference. And what happens, you know, immediately once that's done and they step off the stage, well, they're surrounded by people who want to talk to them, um, who um, 
you know, wants to get to meet them, to shake their hand, to take their picture with them. Um, you might think that it must be the same thing with Paul, that here in his imprisonment in Rome, he's constantly surrounded by this big flock of people. Um, but that's really not the case from what we can see. Um, from a little later on in, in Paul's life, um, he wrote in Second uh, Timothy um, chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, He wrote that his situation is very much the opposite. Uh, In his letter to Timothy, he says, Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. So here we see that Paul has only one single individual left by him. Um, And when we read about the rest of his travels in Acts um, or sort of the rest of his um, greetings that he gives in his different letters, he never has more than just a small group of people who are around him. And so sending somebody like Onesimus, who had proven himself so useful away, um, was was a real sacrifice for Paul, both in his, in his day-to-day life, um, the help that he's providing, and also just the, the emotional and spiritual support that having a brother in Christ around was providing. So Paul is making a sacrifice here. <clears throat> and again, in this passage, we see Paul's gentle approach uh, to Philemon uh, continuing. You know, he says that he, had, he has the authority to keep him um, with uh, to keep Onesimus with him uh, and that was his desire um, but he preferred to do nothing without Philemon's cons- consent he prefers to do nothing without that he's showing so much respect and so much love to Philemon uh, in that uh, respect and love that he it would seem is he's expecting Philemon to reciprocate that and to show that same respect and love to Paul and that same love to Onesimus. In that way, he's, you can see the, the diplomatic approach that he's taking of saying, I could do this, but instead I'm doing this. I'm showing this love and respect to you, leaving this unspoken expectation that Philemon will act in the same way. It might seem somewhat manipulative to us, but again, when we compare the fact that he could just command, this is really showing Paul's love and respect um, for Philemon as an individual. And why is that so important? It's important because Philemon should do this out of a cheerful heart. Paul is giving uh, Philemon this opportunity because he expects him to do the right thing. He's allowing Philemon to be an example of love rather than of grudging obedience. You see, from what we see in this and also in Colossians, um, Philemon was the host for for at least one of the churches uh, in Colossae. Um, So, his household and its affairs were a very familiar thing 
to that body of believers there in Colossae. And the actions that Philemon would take would have a real impact on that community. If he was to just um, be commanded to reconcile with Onesimus and to even let Onesimus go, um, the, his, the congregation in that house would not have had any beautiful picture of the love or the grace or the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. They would merely have seen um, reluctant obedience to church hierarchy. Um, it, that would also have been uh, an example, I suppose you could say, but um, clearly Paul is, is aiming here to have a much more impactful uh, example given for the church there in Colossae by the life of Philemon. And this sort of um, um, unprompted or uh, this sort of um, free gift, this sort of um, outflowing of love rather than grudging obedience, um, this is something that, that Paul um, calls for more than just in this passage. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8, um, we see him addressing this very point and why it's so important that um, this sort of thing be done freely rather than grudgingly. He says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God loves a cheerful giver. And God rewards cheerful givers. And through the cheerful giving, God works and blesses the surrounding community as, as the love of Christ flows out of a person's heart. It's a very picture of the gospel. Where does this sort of cheerful giving, this um, cheerful uh, forgiveness, giving up of rights that Paul is asking of Philemon and that seems from the fact that this letter is recorded in our Bible, Philemon followed through on. Where did that come from? It came from the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. Um, it is only through the sanctification of the Holy Spirit that people are brought to the point where they can actually give cheerfully, where they can forgive cheerfully, where they can give up their rights cheerfully. All of those things are so utterly against human nature. Even some of the most, um, the, the most well-known, the most respected philanthropists and moral people who are unbelievers, um, they are not giving merely out of, the, out of the free grace and cheerfulness of their heart. There are ulterior motives. There are, oftentimes, there's begrudgingness behind it. It is only through the work of the Holy Spirit that this sort of thing can truly be um, 
can truly be a, a gift from a cheerful heart. It's this sanctification that is absolutely vital in the Christian life and that comes as a necessity if you truly belong to Jesus Christ. This is not something that's optional for a Christian. It's something that does happen to every single Christian. Yes, in varying degrees, yes, with ups and downs, but the process of sanctification is an inevitability in the Christian life, and it is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not something that we dredge up from within ourselves with our own power. It's something that we must pray for and seek in communion with Jesus Christ. That brings us to our third and final point, the reunion of spiritual brothers, which you see in verses 15 and 16. Let's read those verses again. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Firstly, in these verses, we see the providence of God, the providence of God, where he says, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you. This is a, most commentators agree, an allusion to Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, where Joseph is speaking about um, his life story, really, his, um, his uh, pride as a boy, his um, being sold into slavery by his brothers, his imprisonment, uh, his being placed at the right hand of Pharaoh. And he says to his brothers who had sold him into slavery, who were fearful that Joseph would punish them and their descendants for that, he says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. So Joseph recognizes the wonderful truth that God is sovereign, that God's providence is directing all the different nuts and bolts and lives and, and animals and asteroids and atoms and molecules of the world. They're all within the providence of God, within God's control, and he's ordering them all together as part of his great and eternal plan. Um, Paul takes uh, a good step of modesty, which all of us should emulate, when he says, perhaps this is why he was parted from you. Um, none of us can ever know with certainty what God's plan uh, entails, what his purposes are, what his secret will is. That's beyond us. Maybe we will know it when we reach heaven and we um, speak with God. Maybe we won't. But regardless, in this life, we certainly uh, will not. But we can still know with certainty that God is working all things together. And we know that he's working all things together, um, not abstractly, but specifically for us 
as Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. According to his purpose. So God is working all things together for our good. And here Paul is recognizing and putting before Philemon that God has worked even this, this abandonment by Onesimus of Philemon, this theft from Philemon by Onesimus, even that God has worked together um, for good, for Paul's good, for Onesimus' good, and ultimately for Philemon's good. Um, and how is it for Philemon's good? It is because Philemon is receiving a brother. As Paul says um, in verse 15, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. That's, we see here the amazing truth of Christian brotherhood. It transcends every category of division. It transcends social status. It transcends the barrier between slave and master that surpasses really any sort of social division in our day and age. It transcends the barrier between those who have committed an offense and those whom the offense was committed against through their brotherhood and through the forgiveness that comes with it. And it transcends time. Christian brotherhood is not um, something that only exists as we um, exist together in one place at one point in time. It, it continues when we move on to another place and leave that other person behind. It continues when one, when one brother um, passes away and um, goes to um, be in the presence of God while the other is left here on earth. It transcends all of those barriers. That brotherhood um, continues. It starts at the moment of justification, and it will continue throughout eternity. And that's an important point. Christian brotherhood is eternal. Paul here says that you might have him back forever. Philemon would receive Onesimus back, not as a, simply as a slave to serve him for the rest of whatever few years in the scope of things there were left, but he has him back forever. He has an eternal brother, one whom he will be alongside worshiping the triune God in paradise for eternity. And that is something that is worth so much more than any other type of, of earthly bond. The bond that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ surpasses by unlimited orders of magnitude. The bond we have with, with simply brothers and sisters in the flesh, with friends, with neighbors, with any other type of relationship you can think of. The relationship we have with our brothers and sisters in Christ is eternal and is of eternal significance. And how can this be? 
How can it be that we can be brothers and sisters in Christ uh, and be together for all eternity and even stand being with each other for all eternity? Uh, All of us are deeply flawed um, individuals who are still full of sin and um, I'm sure the idea of of any of us being with any of the other of us forever in our current state, uh, that would not be a pleasant thing. Uh, it would not be something that we would look forward to because sin is, is an evil thing that causes difficulties. But we can look forward to being with our brothers and sisters in Christ for eternity because of the great truth of glorification. That we know when we die that the Holy Spirit will create us, will, will bring us back to the state that we should have been in. In fact, even better, we will be brought to a state where we are completely unable to sin, where we have no desire to sin, where we can only do good, and where we will be able to worship our God forever and be in his presence in a way that we would be utterly unable to enjoy now in our current sinful state. So here in this passage, we've seen how Onesimus has been justified. We see how he's been sanctified. And we see how Paul holds forward this glorious promise of glorification. And I ask you, have you experienced the same thing in your story? Are you experiencing the same thing? Are you conscious of that experience? Is this the the guiding purpose of your life? Is this your great hope that you have been justified by Jesus Christ, that you are being sanctified by the Holy Spirit, and that you will be glorified, and that you will spend eternity with your brothers and sisters in Christ in the presence of triune God who loved us, created us, and saved us. This is the thing that should animate every moment of our lives. And this is the hope that pulls us through even the darkest hour. I encourage you to hold on to that. Hold on to Christ and his work and his promises. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the incredible work that you did in the life of Onesimus and the example that that is. And Lord, we thank you that you have done the same thing in our lives. Lord, we pray that you would help us not to become numb to that, to forget it or to take it for granted, but that we would dwell on it and meditate on it every day. And Lord, that the truths that are contained within it would be the truth that undergird uh, every action that we take. And Lord, that the hope that it offers would would power us through uh, even the most difficult of moments as we recognize that the sufferings and trials of this world are only temporary and we look forward to an eternity of joy in your presence. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.